Pittsburgh Steeler fans. Welcome back to another episode of Steeler Stat Geek. This is Behind the Steel Curtain editor Dave Schofield coming at you again on Thursday morning. Yeah, it's another one of those weeks. Um, we might have a lot of these weeks. Hopefully we don't have as many as we're on pace to have right now that, you know, coming off of another loss, another Steelers loss. This is a tough one. I have to admit it's anytime you drop a game to an AFC North opponent, it's just, it leaves a bad taste in your mouth. But the, the, the thing I think that's bigger than that is the Steelers are generally known for their AFC North ball. If you know what I mean, but they laid an egg like they did the last time they played the Bengals. If we remember what happened last year. Now we know it's a somewhat different team, but yeah, the Steelers just went out there and it's funny because it, at times it didn't feel like they were ever completely out of it, but yet a lot of times it felt like how could they ever really get back into it? Um, lots of different things to go on with this game. We're going to talk about stuff from this game. Then we're going to look at the upcoming matchup with the Packers. We're going to look at one of the key elements from that. We're going to break down one specific play from last week here in this first uh, segment here uh, as we cover these other things, just because – I want to, because it was something we talked about last week. So I just always want to start off by saying, hey, make sure you're checking out all the other podcasts here at Behind the Steel Curtain. We've got the morning podcast, the noon podcasts, the live shows that go in the evening that are available as a podcast, you know, very soon after they're finished to where, you know, you can catch them early in the morning, all kinds of great content. All the great stories at BehindTheSteelCurtain.com. It really is your one-stop shop for all things Pittsburgh Steelers. So, hey, you know, you can sit back. You can mope about it. You can, you know, revel in your misery or whatever, however you want to say it. Um, Or you can do what the, the players and coaches have to do in the NFL. You can move on and prepare for the next matchup. And... Us fans, we generally let it stick around much longer because we're not a part of the of the prep for the next game. So there's, I got to see this. Jeff Hartman on Monday's Let's Ride. If you're not checking out Let's Ride, if you're not part of the Ride or Die crew, you know, make sure you're checking out that podcast. I appreciate my nerds of steel. I really do. That um, for those of you that that like to to, how do I say it? I was going to say, put up with me uh, on Thursday mornings, on those days, on that you know that oh, that day late in the week that we have to wait in between until we get to hear Jeff again. Yeah, I, I appreciate you, but uh, on Monday, Jeff on his Let's Ride podcast said, you know, you've got people that are extremely. Hey, you know what? There's some other teams out there that are one and two, other than the Steelers, that we expected to be pretty good, and they're one and two. And then you got the people like, they lost another game. The season is over. Mail it in. Just be done. Let's try to draft uh, as high as we can in what is many are saying the worst quarterback draft class in a long time. So I don't know why you'd want to try to do that. But anyway, really where things lie somewhere in the middle. Should we be concerned? Absolutely. Is there a guarantee that this is how it's going to go the rest of the season? No. Is there a guarantee that this is not how it's going to go the rest of the season? No. It's, it is how, what it is. It's, it's kind of like right after week one, when everyone was flying high, the upset over the bills, all those good things. But then it all came crashing down. But during that time, 
everyone was like, look, you know, what they got in week one was just what they expected from now on. Then what you got in week two is what you expected from now on. Now what people really fear is that what you got in week three is what, what's expected from now on. Next week at this time, we're going to be talking about hopefully a completely different narrative because it's however the Steelers play their last game is what everyone expects them to do from that point on. And it doesn't work that way. It's various matchups, various schemes, various different things. And then sometimes you just have a bad day. Sometimes it just doesn't fall into place for you like that. But you, you got to be able to minimize those bad days um, as much as you can. You know, in the NFL, you only get 17 games. You can't afford to have one of them be a bad day. So that, that's just how it works. The train's got to keep rolling. But we're going to look at some of the numbers from last week. Um, once again, this uh, I highlighted some of these things in my By the Numbers article that, that runs um, the morning after a game. And the reason I want to bring some of these up is because you know I did some research on some of these things. And I think for you all, if you didn't read the article, you would like to know about it. And for those of you that did, maybe we just expand on it a little bit. But we know that the sack streak came to an end. But what was so disheartening is it wasn't just that the streak came to an end at 75. Is that not only did the Steelers not get a sack, they didn't even get a quarterback hit. Or at least one that counted on a play. You know, the one that they did get. They got flagged for, so it's almost like, well, is it even worth it? Because that that wasn't a that wasn't a late hit. It was an awful call. I don't know if the Steelers got an apology from the from the league. I don't know if the Lions got an apology from the league, like they should have. Both of those teams for those things that happened to them. But this one with the Steelers, yes, it, it changed things, and it could have been, you know, you could go back and say, take that play away, and how does the rest of this game play out? You're absolutely right. But we'll never know. For all we know, it could have been worse. But all we know is that the way that it did play out after that was not good. So that was that's one thing. So you don't have to worry about that streak or anything else anymore. But the one that I thought was was interesting is here's one. How about the Steelers only scoring 10 points? Steelers only scored 10 points. That's the fewest amount of points they scored since they scored only 10 points in exactly 10 points in all three of their final three games of 2019. So that's the lowest point total since duck. That's right. The last time the Steelers scored 10 points or less in a game, the starting quarterback was Devlin Hodges. So that's a little discouraging, but then you're like, well, what about, you know, what about Ben? Well, that was the game instead of the last week of the season of 2019, it was the first week of the season when they faced the Patriots um, that they, they scored, we'll just say this less than 10. Um, so that point output was very discouraging and it was despite having more yards than the Bengals, having a major advantage in time of possession. It was almost 11 minutes. They ran a lot more plays, um, th- things of that nature. Um, that was disappointing. Here's another one. And it's not just the 10 points. How about zero first quarter points? What's frustrating about that is that the Steelers offense have, has not scored a point in the first quarter. Now I've made a big deal about opening drives. The Steelers are terrible with opening drives. Okay. They really are. No wonder everybody defers against them. If the Steelers lose the toss, the other team had, I mean, you've got to defer because you're basically getting an extra possession because you know, you're going to get the ball and the Steelers aren't going to have any points on the board because they don't score on their opening drives. They don't, they don't, they haven't scored on their opening drive. I, um, 
might might even be the last time that they scored points in on offense in the first quarter. And that was the last time they played the Cincinnati Bengals in Pittsburgh. So it had been 11 straight games, 11 straight games where the Steelers have not scored a point in the first quarter. That is unacceptable. It's not like you're setting up plays for later in the game. It means your your scheme for the game is not ready. It means that I say scheme, sorry, your script for the game is not ready and not up to what it needs to be. It was discouraging with a lot of this game as I'm I'm watching the game with Jeff Hartman because I did not get the game at my house, so I was I was at Jeff's. And what was so frustrating is Jeff turned to me. He's like, "Has there been any time where?" the Steelers on second down weren't behind the sticks. I'm like, he was right. So whether it was a penalty, whether it was a negative play, something of that nature, it always seemed like first down, it was something second down. It was more than 10. So it's first and 10 and then second and more than 10. So when you're, when you're putting yourself in that situation, it's really hard to get going. So the Steelers, I mean, they've got to do more on first down. They've got to do more on first down. Um, I could go in more to where I had my massive rant about the Steelers calling a timeout with a minute and nine seconds left in the first half. It still infuriates me. I mean, I got upset in my last game I ever coached because I called a timeout. There was no actual play clock counting down in a, in a high school game. Um, there wasn't a, an actual play clock, so the officials were keeping it. But it was coming off of them winding the clock, and I was keeping the play clock in my head. And I called timeout so we didn't take the delay of game. Where we were on the field, you know what? I should have let it go. I might have. It might have saved us another five to six seconds when there was 15 seconds left in the game. And that could have made a big difference. And for all I know, I might have been counting a little bit off than what the official was. They might not have been right on either. And we wouldn't have had to, to, to do the final play of that game, which I'm just not going to get into right now. So that, which, which, you know, was a difference of seconds, you know, at the end of a game, people don't understand you want to use the clock to your advantage. And I don't know why the Steelers felt that they needed a minute nine to do what they were going to do from the five-yard line. You don't need that much time from that distance. How much time you need is reduced as you get closer to the goal line. If the Steelers were just across midfield on a play like that and the clock's running, I still wouldn't have called timeout if you had more than 45 seconds, honestly. Cross midfield, 45 seconds. Then then once you're in field goal range, you're probably talking about 30 seconds. When you're talking and goal, you don't need to use your timeout so there's 20 seconds left. If you've got them all, my goodness. You know, the Steelers, you know, huddle up. I mean, Najee Harris was so smart. He could have easily gone, gone out of bounds to stop the clock. And he specifically didn't because it was the smart football play. And what's sad is that the player made the smart football play. And then someone, I don't know if it was a coordinator. I don't know if it was a head coach. I don't know if it was the quarterback. I'm not sure who, but then someone called that timeout. That's frustrating. But you know what? Like I said, everyone's like, oh, they wasted the timeout. We should fire the coach. No, don't. Because the coach made that bad decision. Yeah, it was bad. But you know what? Everybody screws up something. For someone who used to umpire softball, Whenever people would get upset, you know, on a borderline ball or strike or a bang, bang play at first base, I would say to them, like, I'm going to do my best here, just like you do your best when you're in the field or when you're up to bat. 
Okay. You don't get a base hit every at bat and you don't make every play in the field. I'll do my best to make the calls back here to what I believe that they are. That's the best. And the, and, and it's the same with the coach. So it's frustrating. It's frustrating that that should have been it. Uh, it's almost like because the Steelers hadn't scored the whole game, they weren't even thinking about using the clock to their advantage. Now let's see how this all played out. Real quick, just because this is some interesting numbers before I go on to, to talk about that one play I really want to talk about. How did it all play out? So the Steelers, they score their touchdown with just over a minute left. Okay, that's good. That's great. That's wonderful. They give it back to the Bengals who, oh my goodness, if there's under 20 seconds left, there's a pretty good chance that they're probably might just take a knee. I mean, maybe they didn't, but you know, but that the whole roughing the passer play, things like that, chances are it doesn't even come into play. So the Steelers, that's what they do. So <laughs> here they go. They score the touchdown. They kick off and a whole whopping, oh my goodness, 21 seconds later, I think it was, um, whenever they scored, because you know they, they scored with just with a minute four. And then the Bengals scored with 37 seconds left. So what do you know? The Steelers got the ball back with 37 seconds. You had a chance to all but run out the half, and it was so bad that you scored your touchdown, gave up a touchdown, and got the ball back. And it wasn't even a return touchdown, if you know what I mean. So they get the ball back. They do nothing and actually have to punt with 21 seconds left. You know what it should have been with 21 seconds left? Kicking the ball off. If that should have even possibly been less. But anyway, that's just kind of what happened for the half. So the Steelers, they get, you know, so they score the touchdown. They mess up the clock. What does the Bengals, what do the Bengals do? They, they come back and respond with a touchdown. The Steelers have the ball for, for 37 seconds, do nothing with it. Then what happens? Cincinnati gets the ball coming back out of the second half, which we, we all knew it was happening. Um, and they turn into a field goal. The Steelers get the ball back. We're going to talk about their first offensive play in just a minute. Then on their third offensive play, interception, and then that drive turns into a touchdown. So there you are right there. All the points are scored by the Bengals for the rest of the game right there where the Steelers scored their touchdown. There should have been no touchdown left there. And then, I mean, the Steelers ran six plays after scoring their touchdown to tie it in the, in the span that they ran six plays. The next, when they ran their seventh play, they were down 17 points. And that's just, that's how the game played out. It all happened right in that span. So whew. now I want to talk about something. I want to talk about the Steelers first play of the second half which did not happen until there was eight minutes and 47 seconds left in the quarter because the Bengals held the ball for a long time and got a field goal. So what happened? Why do I want to talk about that play? Because I talked about this last week in the use of the fullback. We did see Derek Watt more on the field for the Steelers. He was actually out there two of the three plays of the first drive of the second half. I want to talk about the first play because you know what they did? They did what I asked them to. I was so excited. They they ran the 22 personnel group. I called it almost perfectly. I was off by one player. But for 22, for you to remember, that's two running backs, two tight ends, wide receiver. 
I said the correct wide receiver. It was Chase Claypool. He's huge. Might as well use him. The only difference was, is I said the two tight ends about Frere, Muth, and Ebron, and they had Frere, Muth, and Gentry. Then it was Najee Harris with the running back. Derek Watt is the fullback. They line, they go out in 22 personnel. So what are the Bengals? They're in a base 3-4. They've got, sorry, not 3-4, 4-3. They've got their four defensive linemen. They've got their three second-level linebackers. They've got two corners and two safeties. So that's what they have out on the field. I'm assuming that everyone was actual safeties, and I just based off where they were playing. I didn't, I didn't look up their jersey numbers and everything just to make sure. But they had to respond there. So the Steelers come out with that 22 personnel, and they, and they come out with a double-wing set. They have both tight ends on the line of scrimmage in tight, and then they have Derek Watt and Chase Claypool as wingbacks, meaning – or H-backs. So – they're they're basically off the line of scrimmage, but in tight, basically almost not behind the tight ends, but you know, just like like they would have been next to the tight ends, but off the line of scrimmage. And then they have Najee Harris in the backfield. Ben is under center. What did the Bengals do? They took both outside linebackers and brought them up on the line of scrimmage to have six players on the front. And then they brought their two corners in because all the receivers were in where they were basically lined up almost looking like, like um, outside linebackers. And then they brought their strong safety in almost like having a second middle linebacker. So it was like six men on the line of scrimmage four four looking like linebackers right at the next level right there. And then a single deep safety. So they had 10 in the box. So, okay, that's fine. What did the Steelers do? They shift. What do they shift? They send um, Najee Harris and Pat Frermuth to the left. Najee's out wide. Pat's in the slot. Okay. They send Claypool out, out to the right along with Derek Watt. Claypool's more in the slot. Derek Watt's all the way wide. So the two running backs are now all the way wide in the formation. And they kept Gentry in at his tight end spot. So how did the Bengals respond? Uh oh. Oh, and Ben went shotgun. I should I, I should say that. So what they did is it looked like they had five down linemen, but one of them was really one of the outside linebackers lined up on Gentry, but up on the line of scrimmage. So so they did that. They left one middle linebacker in there. The other outside linebacker went out on Frermuth. Then they had the corners. The, the corners and a safety out on each person, you know, looking like it's man to man, but as they went, you could see it was kind of more of a zone um, as, as, as what they did. And that's what they did. Um, the, the safety was more than 15 yards deep. Okay. And they, they rushed four whenever the ball was snapped because the player that was lined up on Gentry stayed with Gentry. So what happened was the left corner was playing way off Najee Harris. All, everyone else was up, up tight. I think it was Eli Apple was who that corner was. He was playing way off Najee Harris because he was kind of there to, to help with Frermuth, if you know what I mean. Um, because I think the safety help was come, was cheating a little bit more towards Claypool. So what happened was um, Ben has a nice, clean pocket. He looked at Frermuth going, and the corner took one step, and then he instantly turned and threw it out to Najee Harris at or just behind the line of scrimmage. Um, Najee took the ball, six-yard gain, okay? So they ran the formation I was wanting to see. They got a six-yard gain out of it. Um, and so you know what the what the routes that were run, um, Gentry just ran a little hook route. He basically went five yards right in the middle of the field and turned around. 
Um, the two slot guys, I would say, which was Claypool and Fairmuth, they just, they went, they just went, you know, it's like they were running all like a, whether it's a go or skinny, but you know, down the field, you never really got to see how it developed because the pass happened so far. So are so fast. And then the two running backs that were out wide, Harris and Watt, they both, you know, took one step forward like they're running around and then stopped and waited. And that's where the ball came to Harris. So I loved that personnel grouping. And I love that they then sp- split them out wide. I love that they got at least six yards. Honestly, there was a lot more they could have done with that, but I was even just happy with, with what they did. And Ben had the time in the pocket. I mean, I was pausing the play as I was rewatching it. And Every everyone was picked up on the defense. He had the time to throw. There was no one that was getting beat. He just, you know, made the quick throw. So that's what it was. So I wanted to outline that play because it was something we talked about last week. I'm ready to move on. I want to talk about what's going on with the Steelers and the Packers. So we're going to take a quick break after we ran over a little bit in the first segment um, because I had to, first of all, I had to rant a little bit more about that timeout and then, of course, talk about that play. Unfortunately, the thing with that play, I didn't finish it up before I take this break. Is two plays later was the interception. And one of the most frustrating parts about the interception was that was that was 20 personnel again. So that was two running backs. Derek Watt was on the field, three wide receivers, shotgun. Watt was on the left of Roethlisberger. Harris was on the right. And when Roethlisberger went to scramble, Derek Watt was wide open, not just for the first down. He probably rumbles for 20 yards. Easy. There was, he just, he, he, they even said it during the play. If you listen to the announcers, oh, watch slides out. It was like, it was so obvious to everyone that there was your dump off for the first down and more. And instead, Ben tried to throw it into double, I'm, I'm calling it double coverage with a player between him and the receiver who, I mean, I can't even call the linebacker in coverage because he was he was just as close to Ben as he was the receiver. It felt like. I mean, it was it's not exactly, but he wasn't anywhere close to the receiver and took away the interception from his own safety because he would have intercepted it as well. So that's when they start utilizing Watt, then something like that happens. I don't know if Ben doesn't trust him, but he had him wide open for that one. Maybe he just didn't see him. So we're gonna go ahead and take a break. We're gonna you know, shake this off, move into the Green Bay Packers. So stick around. We'll be right back. Pittsburgh Steelers fans, welcome back to Steelers Stat Geek. I'm glad you nerds of Steel are with me. Let's look forward. Let's go to week four. Whoo, man, this is kind of kind of tough. The Steelers are underdogs. They were, I think it was seven points. Then when there was the possibility of, you know, like TJ Watt coming back, that, that changed it a half a point on the line. I think that's what made it adjust. I can't think of any other reason why it would move towards the Steelers' favor. But um, six and a half, that's what they were looking at when they went to Buffalo. So we'll see. Once again, the Steelers are facing a team that won 13 games last season on the road. They've done this before. This isn't their first rodeo. They did it in week one. They came out victorious. You're like, oh, you can go with all that, all those numbers. Yeah, but then the next two games happen. So we got to remember that. I'm going to go ahead and hit you with some ranks because what we're going to find here 
is that there is that the key, it's the title of this episode. And you're like, when are you going to talk about the title? Turnovers and takeaways. Both these teams, Coach Tomlin outlined it in his press conference. I already had the numbers written down, so I knew exactly what he was talking about. This is all about turnovers. All about turnovers, both of these teams. And, and you'll see when we get there. But I'm going to go ahead. Since we've got three games under our belts, I can go ahead and give you where these teams are lined up rank-wise and everything else. As the season goes on, it's going to be even more telling. But, you know, let's com- compare in the offenses. Well, here's one that might get you, and you got to say, boy, Green Bay must have been really bad that first game. Um, it wasn't really much different than the next game that they won. But the Pittsburgh Steelers offensively are actually ranked one spot ahead of the Green Bay Packers when you're talking about offensive yards. Uh, the Steelers have 925 yards. Green Bay has 905 yards of offense. The Steelers are 25th. The Packers are 26th. So it's not like the Packers' offense is like tearing it up. And you, and you can't even say that, oh, well, that's all about their last, about that first game where they didn't do anything. It's it's really not. It really isn't. Because if if I recall correctly, their total yards on offense that first game, yeah, it wasn't good. It was 229, but it wasn't like it was that, you know, like 200 yards difference. It was about 100 yards difference to the next game. But defensively, that's what I'm thinking about more. Defensively, they actually gave up less less yards in week one than they did in week two. But we'll get there. Um, when it comes to scoring points in the season, the Steelers, no surprise, they're pretty they're pretty low. They've, they're 28th in points scored uh, with 50. And the Packers are 18th with 68. You know, even though they scored 30 the last two games, you know, 35 and 30, that three-point game will get you. Um, when it comes to passing yards, the Steelers are ranked 13th with 766. They have exactly 100 more yards than the Packers, which, yep, they have 666 yards. Um, they're 22nd in the league. When it comes to actually passing t- touchdowns, the Steelers have three, which is twenty tied for 23rd. The Packers have six passing touchdowns. That's tied for 10th. Um, when it comes to rushing the ball, we know that the Steelers are dead last with 32nd with 159. But the Packers are 30th. Now, they have a lot more than the Steelers, 239, so they have 80 more rushing yards, but they're only two spots ahead of the Steelers. The only team that's in between them is Tampa, who has 10 more yards than the Steelers. So those are your three lowest rushing teams in the NFL through three weeks. It goes Green Bay, then Tampa, then Pittsburgh. So now let's look at the at the defensive numbers. You've got the Packers. They're actually ranking higher in defense than the Steelers. They've given up 964 yards. They're ninth. And the Steelers have given up exactly 100 yards more, 1,064 yards. They're ranked 13th. When it comes to points surrendered, this is kind of interesting. Um, The Steelers have surrendered 50 points. That ranks 12th. Okay. Um, And while... That doesn't make sense. Well, yeah, maybe it does. Um, I'm looking back. I'm like, do the Steelers? Is it really 20, 50 points, or did I write something down? But they were ranked 12th. I'll have to. I'll have to double check that one. That one seems a little bit, a little bit off, if you know what I mean. Um, so we'll get there. Um, but I'll double check that. But I do know that they they were ranked 12th versus um, Green Bay, who is ranked um, 24th, where they've surrendered 83 points on the season. Uh, when you're talking about the about the pass defense, the Steelers rank 20th. They've given up 799 yards, where the Packers rank 9th, giving up 618 yards. 
But the Packers have given up nine passing touchdowns, which is tied for 30th, which is the most in the league, where the Steelers have given up only six. But that's still tied for 21st. Um, let's see what else we have here. We've got rushing defense. Um, the Steelers are 10th in the NFL, giving up 265 yards, where the Packers are 16th, where they've given up 346. So they're middle of the pack. Packers have given up um, – what what is that? Uh, two touchdowns on the ground. The Steelers haven't given up any. No rushing touchdowns so far this season. They're one of two teams that have not. Um, and the and those two, the other team is the Dallas Cowboys have not surrendered a touchdown on the ground. So it is what it is. So yeah. Um, do do do. Oh, I was just trying to to figure out a little bit something more here for you to figure out that the Steelers, I, I wrote 50. It wasn't 50 that the Steelers have. It's, it was 66. I wrote the points, points for again. I'm sorry that I reported that as 50. I knew that wasn't right when I said it. I'm like, wait, that can't be right. Yeah, it's they are ranked 12th, but it's 66 points. Now to get into the main stat that I want to talk about here, which, you know, you're like, oh, wow, we're almost done. Yep, we are almost done. But this is the thing that counts. Like Tomlin talked about it. It is turnovers. You know, turnovers grouped with takeaways really is important. Now, the Packers, they have been all or nothing, even more than the Steelers. For example, the Packers turned the ball over three times in week one, didn't get any takeaways, and they lost. The next two weeks, they did not turn the ball over. They forced two takeaways in each game, and they won both games. So the so the Packers have not had a game yet this season in which they had both a turnover and a takeaway, where both the offense turned it over and the defense took it away. It's been one or the other. That's what they've been so far. The Steelers, they started off that way, but last week changed it up a little bit. They had no turnovers in week one. They got the win. They forced a turnover in week two. Not they didn't force it. They, they... They turned the ball over without forcing a turnover. Sorry. Um, I just didn't say that right. And they lost the game. And then this past week was the first time that they actually had numbers in both, turnovers and takeaways. The Steelers turned it over twice, had one takeaway. And the worst is on that takeaway is when they is when they just turned it right back over. You know, that that's the thing. So no points off of turnovers there for the Steelers. And that's kind of indicative of everything that's going on. Everything that's going on with both of these teams. If they turn the ball over, they lose. If they take care of the ball, they win. Now, will that be the exact formula going forward? No, I'm sure that there, there might be a game that this that one of these teams turns the ball over and wins, or they don't turn it over and lose because they don't have any other takeaways either. But the plus minus is crazy. If the teams are plus, they win. If they're minus, they lose. In turnovers. So that's how you get separation in teams when everyone in the NFL was, you know, fairly close. But there's one other thing to go with that. Okay. Both teams, the Steelers and the Packers, have both turned the ball over three times. Think of this. In the three turnovers that the Packers had in week one, they didn't really do all that much damage. They they gave up seven points off of turnovers. One turnover turned into a punt. 
The other, another turnover turned into a touchdown and their last turnover turned into the end of game. I mean, it was already what? 38 to three at that point, that turnover, it's almost like it didn't even happen. So the Packers are given up, you know, gave up seven points on three turnovers. The Steelers, they gave up 17. They have not, the offense has not turned the ball over in 2021 where it has not equated to points for the other team when the Steelers play a game. There was, they had one turnover that turned into a field goal um, against the Raiders and the two turnovers against the Bengals both turned into touchdowns, which what do you know? That was the margin of victory was the 14 points off of turnovers. So this is really, really, really important. The Steelers have to take care of the ball, but I also don't want them trying to take care of the ball to a point that they don't do anything on offense. You know, you can't play so conservative because you're afraid to turn the ball over that you'd never get a first down, if you know what I'm saying. So you've still got to play your game. You've still got to attack, but you've got to attack wisely and make good decisions and not throw a ball with two guys on the receiver and a guy in between you and him. It it just doesn't work. It, if there's that many people around one guy, then somebody else has to be open. It, I mean, it, it's a numbers thing. It's numbers. It's it's stat geeky. It's nerds of steel. That's what it is. If there's three guys on one guy, someone else has to be open. It's it's just common sense. And you know, unless they're playing with 13 players, um, and they're not allowed to do that. <laughs> so oh, that's my numbers. Steelers, take care of the ball. Take care of the ball. Get out there, force some pressure, get some turnovers as well. And anything can happen. Anything can happen. Am I expecting the Steelers to go out there and win? Honestly, I'm not. Do I know that they can? Absolutely. My expectation is for them to play better and be competitive. That's what I want to see this Sunday. And when you're playing better and you're competitive, anything can happen. You've just got to see how it all comes down to it. So that's today's Steeler Stat Geek. I almost called it Nerds of Steel, but now it's Steeler Stat Geek. Uh, we'll be back next Thursday, hopefully maybe a little bit happier, hopefully with some better better things to talk about, better numbers. But um, the Steelers are who they are. I'm taking it week to week. I'm not looking forward like, oh, well, oh, if they can't beat this team, how are they going to beat this team, this team, and this? You know, how are they going to get to that many wins? You know what? All they can do is go into each week t- trying their best to win that game. And that's what we kind of need to focus on. Don't don't worry about, oh, the way the Steelers are playing now, they'll never beat the Chiefs in December. Well, first of all, they're not playing the Chiefs until December. And that's in December. You know whose problem that is? December Steelers. Okay. Right now we're worried about first weekend in October Steelers. So let's shake off September. Remember that you got that, that dirty P word potential based on what they did against Buffalo and move forward and make October a month one that maybe we can uh, think about and hopefully is a little bit more memorable for the right reasons. So I want to thank you for joining me again. Thank you, Nerds of Steel. I will see you out there. If you have any questions or anything, just hit me up on Twitter at STLR SuperfanDad. Um, and, you know, or use that hashtag, Nerds of Steel. So thanks for joining me. And like I always say, thanks for geeking out with me.